This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Jones, who is the Director of Data Analytics and AI Practice at Beringa Partners and uh, also published author, which I'm sure we'll get into, Paul, but thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honour to be here. No, no, the honour and pleasure is is all ours. So obviously, as you know, where we always start, Paul, is by asking our guests to give themselves a, uh, a brief introduction into their background and journey up until this point, if you, uh, if you will. Very happy to, yes, thank you. So um, I started off with a technical background. So I um, read computer science at university, was effectively a programmer to start with, um, and joined a consultancy called DEFCA back when I didn't really even know what consulting was. Um, and certainly, I, I mean, one of the reasons that I did join was because I, one of the things I studied at university was data warehousing. And I knew that DEFCA was, you know, that, that was one of the things that they did. Although data management, as we know it now, didn't really exist. It was more of a kind of an IT thing. Um, I did the typical thing of kind of jumping in. I did really technical stuff, coding, data analytics, ETL design, all those kinds of things. I also did pure business stuff, and I was trained as a business consultant, so business change and, and all those kinds of things. Um, mainly working for telco clients initially, um, but a real breadth. And o- over time, I mean, just having that variety is great. Um, but I kind of ended up, because of the projects that I was working on, becoming known for one of the people that knew how to do data governance. And there were a couple of projects I ended up leading, which kind of became the flagship projects that, you know, we ended up kind of packing up and reselling to other organisations. Um, I moved to Ernst & Young and continued doing similar kinds of things. Um, that was where I took my first proper step into financial services. So I did a um, fair amount of work for, for RBS there. Um, and at that point, I didn't think I was ever going to leave consulting, but I was headhunted for this role at Barclays, the, the head of finance and risk data governance, and it was just too good an opportunity not to go for. Um, so I moved there. It's a fantastic experience. Um, had some success at the finance and risk kind of level, and then proposed this idea of how things could work if things were, were done in a more joined up way across the rest of the bank. And this kind of coincided with some regulations coming in. Um, like there's something in the banking sector called BCBS 2.9, which became a very big thing. And so I moved and became the global head of data governance. More broadly, I worked for the first chief data officer that they appointed. Um, and I mean, I could talk for an hour just about all the things that we did there. It was, it was really, you know, a, a great time, you know, learned a lot, had some big successes, had some 
fairly significant failures as well. But you know, all the way kind of working things through and working out what works and what doesn't work. Um, then I moved to Nationwide Building Society. Um, now they had a pretty well established privacy function, but off the back of GDPR, they needed to establish a second line of defense data protection office. So I stepped in there, became the data protection officer, recruited the team, built out all the processes, um, found some problems that they weren't entirely aware of that helped with kind of the remediation program. I mean, again, you know, they're, they're one, one great thing about Nationwide was just how much they cared about it. So in, in many ways, my job was a lot easier because I wasn't having to fight for things. It was it was more of a raising awareness and then working with them to work things through. Um, and then um, Nationwide appointed a new chief data officer and, and um, she asked me to come in and help um, kind of reshape what, what was happening with data governance. Um, she had a vision of more kind of a digital first, um, kind of modern, forward-looking data management across the organization. So I, I stepped in and became the data governance director. Um, and again, just work in terms of reshaping the teams and, you know, again, lots and lots I can share on, on that one as well. Um, but then mid last year, I kind of, I decided that I wanted to return to consulting, um, picked up some conversations with some people I'd worked with in the past. And I'm very pleased to, to join Boringa Partners um, back in November last year. Um, as part of their data analytics practice. Um, great bunch of people, um, you know, lots of exciting projects. I think there's a couple of things that really, a couple of things that have made me really glad to join Boringa actually. One is the incredible focus on people first in everything they do, which you kind of feel through the interview process. But you actually, I mean, they've won awards for it, but, but the interesting thing is even on projects, when project teams are pulled together, there's a real focus on how do we make sure we get the right skills mixed? How do we make sure that that we really care about the people on the project, but also how do we care about the client team and how they are? So there's like a people focus that kind of spreads through everything. And the other thing for me is, is a real focus on delivering impact that lasts. And this is something which I've always been really keen on throughout my career. I think it's probably why I've been successful because I'm always thinking about how do we make sure that these things aren't just like a temporary tick in the box thing, they really make a difference. Um, but I think one of the things just to bring that to life, I've been working on various proposals over the past um, couple of months and I can think of at least three proposals where we put forward proposals where we know there's a risk of losing because we're actually proposing something different to what the client asked for because we looked at it and we said you know what yes we could, we could probably win this if we just do what we've been asked to do but that is not going to deliver the impact we need and it's not going to be sustainable so and to me that's you know that that's that's integrity through and through I mean that, that's kind of that's how I think it works, and it's, it's great work um, with an organisation that, that kind of operates that way. So, yep. so that's yep. a kind of positive history. I'm very pleased to be back in consulting and working for lots of different organisations. Yeah, I think what you mentioned there kind of certainly rings true for me in terms of my experience and probably some of the um, unwanted press that consulting may have previously got right around, you know, people come in. They do a piece of work, they go, and as they leave the door, so does all the knowledge and everything that's come with that project. And, uh, you know, that lasting impact that you talked about is kind of, you know, wavered away, so to so to speak. So that, that kind of certainly rings true in my ears. But um, obviously, data management in various forms has been your thing over the last kind of 20 years or so now. Um which amazed me because you look very young, Paul. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess, how, how has data management evolved over that period of time in your eyes? 
Well, it's, it's been really interesting, actually. And, and as I've moved back into consulting, it's given me a chance to reflect on that a bit because I'm kind of um, mixing with people, you know, and people joining the team who are, you know, as old as I've been working, which is which is quite scary, you know. <laughs> um, when um, I guess when I started out, data management was just a part of computing and IT. Um, it was a technology thing. That was why I ended up getting into it. Um, a lot of the a lot of the um, the roles and things that you hear about now, data scientists and those kinds of things, didn't exist. Although people were doing those things. I mean, right back when I was working at, at Jessica, you know, we had people who were pulling in both structured and unstructured data sources, very large volumes, doing kind of using, you know, NLP and pattern recognition, all these kinds of things. Um, the, the, what, the things that are being done from a data management perspective are the same, but technology is enabling us to do it at far bigger scale, far faster, far more scalably. And, and that's both, you know that's great because it opens up loads more opportunities. But obviously, the more data you have, and the faster you know the, the faster you need processing things, it, it brings different kind of challenges. I think the other thing for me, as I as I started moving into this kind of data governance space, the whole kind of there's a whole kind of business side to this, which has grown up over the past few years. Which again, I mean, I worked on my first data governance strategy back in August 24. Uh, what was it? 2014 is that right might even be i might have got that wrong actually 2004 i think it was quite quite a while ago right and this is um and back then it was all brand new and the thing that was really new about it was it was it's all about people and process it's about organizing people it's about how when you've got multiple systems multiple platforms how do you make sure that as the data goes between all of these things it, it remains consistent, you maintain its quality. And quite often that's a that's a people and a process thing, not a technology thing. The technology is really important and you need to put technical controls in place to automate it and make sure it's safe. So that's a, that's that that's that's one of the things that, that's really evolved um over the years. And I think that um it alongside all the kind of more advanced analytics and those kinds of things. And I think that um for me the the convergence of they're kind of almost separated out. I think there's there's opportunity in the future to bring them back together again and kind of say, actually, you know, these things should work together. How, when you're doing the business stuff, do you leverage technology to be more effective and not make it a purely business thing which isn't connected? Because I've seen loads of projects which are so theoretical, they don't change anything. You know, you, you develop your data definitions and all these things, kinds of things, but they don't connect to any actual physical technology. Just as I've seen tech, you know, amazing data projects which you know deliver specific use cases but don't connect to anything else, and then you end up with a mess at the other end. So, you know, it's um, it's just been it's just been very interesting, and and I'm sure that in ten years' time we'll have a whole new set of terminology that we're using to yep. kind of describe the same thing, just in a slightly different way. Um, <laughs> that's all yeah. part of the fun of it, isn't it? It is. It is. And uh, I think, look, you know, it's everything you said there was kind of resonating. Right. I think we, we've experienced probably as an industry, a lot of a lot of heartache right around kind of many organizations going with that kind of tech first approach and hoping that the, the technology piece was going to be that kind of silver bullet. And, um, you know, look, I've mentioned many times on this podcast, I, I often get a bit of flack on platforms like LinkedIn because I'm 
probably quite vocal around the whole business and change and transformation piece that needs to occur alongside, you know, the, the technology. Um, and often that message gets kind of a little bit misinterpreted. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not here saying the technology isn't important or the, you know, the advancement in technology doesn't help us, but it's certainly not enough on its own. Um, and I think it's been, you know, certainly the last five years, probably because, so many organizations have spent so much money on, you know, not got what they wanted out of it, have now kind of had to almost grow up and mature a little bit faster than the trajectory that they, they were on, right? Which, uh, which which certainly makes sense. Talk to me, and this is just me thinking out loud here, Paul, but talk to me around the, the kind of change from a data management perspective in terms of the whole defensive versus offensive thing. Because I think this is something that I've certainly noticed um, even more so over the last two or three years that's kind of taken a real kind of you know someone's plugged it in and you know kind of turned the heat up on on this because i guess if you think back to probably when you started and for probably for the large part of the the first half of your career i guess data management in many organizations was seen as a you know compliance piece a tick box exercise right you know what's the what's the risk can we keep ourselves you know away from risk whereas now it's very much being viewed as okay if we do the right things managing our data that can really kind of turn the dial on the analytics piece right how how have you how has that kind of played out in in reality within organizations it's, it's really interesting actually because it's kind of come full circle so actually when i started out none of those regulations existed there was no right. there was no regulated yeah. mandate to do any of this stuff so every time you know, data governance was sold as part of, if you want to do this smart stuff you want to do, you've got to do the data governance stuff. Now, I guess there were a couple of, some of some of the sales thing, sales type thing was defensive. So for example, one of the very early uh, data governance projects I worked on was because a member of the board had received a dear Mr. Deceased letter. Oh. And it, it turned out that there was a real problem with um, when, you know, when people died, unfortunately, their system couldn't recognize it properly and they were continuing to send mail out and they, they were just, so it was, it was, you know, really embarrassing situation. Now, this is a problem that a lot of organizations still have to varying degrees. Um, but I guess it was, it was actually when I was at Barclays where things like, you know, the horrible acronym DCS 29 came out. In fact, I was, I remember talking to the FCA or FSA as it was, and when it was, BCBS 222, which was like the, the precursor to it. And to me, it was like, man, this is a gift. I, you know, I, I've been having to sell this stuff based on value. Something that's going to be a mandate. But then what happens <laughs> is like a flip. So, so you go from um, really hard to sell, but once you've got it, it's all focused on delivering value to the regulator says we've got to do it. Let's just tick the box. And that's dangerous in a very different way because then you have you know, lots of investment, but it can go on the paperwork that makes it look like you're doing the right thing when you're not necessarily actually doing the right thing. You know, you're not actually necessarily delivering the kind of efficiency gains or the accuracy improvement that, that was kind of the whole point in the first place. Um, and, and, and again, when you look at some of the chief data officers that are hired for some of these roles, again, you see that it, it's, it's interesting people who come from the kind of compliance background have one kind of view of the world, and then you have people who are, are recruited with the kind of analytics and value generation, and especially when you bring people from across different industries where you know from a non or a, an industry with less regulation to one with lots of regulation or vice versa, mm. you end up with this weird culture clash where 
they're, they're trying to do it the way that they're used to doing it and they're, they're either really constrained or they're being told why you're doing all this stuff you don't need to put this level of rigor into it so it's um but i do i think there's there are a lot of great things in some of the, the kind of regulations that have come along <clears throat> but whenever you're implementing these things it's so important to keep going back to the why are we doing this you know this this can't be just about ticking the box it can't be just about you know the letter of the law it's got to be the regulator wrote that for a reason and the reason wasn't for you to create some documents to say that you're doing it yeah. Yeah. so um, yeah really interesting how it's evolved over the years yeah no that is uh that's fascinating yeah and i guess you know if you try and think about this logically right it's kind of and this is what i'm constantly saying like the the whole reason we're doing any of this stuff is to kind of get some commercial value out of this right you know in whatever shape or form that's really what it boils down to and if we're not doing it's pointless even having the data to to manage your government in the first place right <laughs> you might as well not have it and then not have to kind of worry about it really so it's uh it's interesting i know you are and when we've spoken before offline, um, you know, you kind of big on this notion of these different perspectives of data management, and you start to creep into it there a little bit, I think. But um, talk talk us through those kind of different perspectives, and I guess kind of what that means in, in reality. Yeah, so this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit over the past few months. Because I mean, I've been very lucky in the roles that I've landed because I've been been able to see data management from some very different lenses. And I was thinking that probably the easiest way to, to describe this is to provide examples. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll give you three very different views, and there are many more, but I'll talk about group-level regulator reporting, which is the kind of BCDS 29 type thing. I'll talk about data privacy, the data protection office type view. I'll also talk about operational resilience. And so in the UK, there's some FCA requirements that are coming into effect in March this year, for example. And again, it's a different... A lot of it, or each of these things, they cover the same kinds of, you know, metadata and data portals and so on and so forth. You've got to do those things, but with a very different lens. So if we take group level regulatory reporting as a start, in fact, just group group reporting in general, the easiest way to think about this is, like, let's say, let's imagine for a moment you are um, an executive director, you're sat in a board level committee and you receive a report. Now you look at this report and Say you need to make an investment decision that could send the organization 100 million pounds one way or the other. So it's a pretty significant decision. And it's the contents of this report that you're going to use to make that decision. How do you trust the data? That is, uh, that is the point, right? So we can talk about lineage and we can talk about quality, but that is, that is the point that you're going after. Now, in order to do that, you've got to start with, well, what is the data in this report? So you're starting kind of right to left. So you go... What's the, you've got some metrics, let's work out what data feeds those metrics, where are you getting them from, um, are you, is the data coming in complete, is it valid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, can we correct some of those mistakes? If not, do we need to actually tell the that recipient that actually, you know, this data is a month out of date, make sure you bear that in mind when you're using it, that kind of thing. Everything you do when you're working on something like that should be thinking about that person in that room how are you helping that person make that decision, right? But the scope of the data is, it's not going to be customer data, it's not PII data that the data sector cares about, it's aggregated risk and finance data primarily. So it's very different scope of data, the way you do all of these things is very different. Um, even if the headlines sound the same, it's quite a different view. Then let's let's take the data protection officer's view. 
So the data they care about is the data belonging to the data subject. So it's you and me, it's human beings, and it's about looking after them in line with um, in line with regulations. So for that, you need to say, well, where is our PII data? Right. So you're not going right to left. You're going, where is it? Right? Should it be there? You need to construct your records of processing activities under GDPR. You know, you've got, so this is like, what is it that we're doing with it? Should we be doing those things? So when you talk about data lineage, for example, the reason you do your data flow mapping for, for that is very different to the reason you do it for your kind of regulator reporting. Some of the data might overlap. So actually, when you when you generate your financial numbers, they are transactions. So it's it's um, you know people making payments, receiving payments, you know the debits and credits, those kinds of things. So there is a connection, but it's sometimes it's several steps along the way that you actually have to care about. It. So that's that's the data privacy view, and then you then you look at operational resilience, which is let's say you're an operational um, director, so you're responsible for making. In fact, let's let's take an example of. You run um, the internet services and the app that the customers use. If that app falls over, suddenly your customers can't do whatever it is that you're doing. So, you know, it could be that you can't process payments in a financial services setting, or, you know, it's, it could have a really significant impact. So, you need to make sure those services are resilient. Now, part of that is what data is used in the app, which there may, might be overlaps. So it could be some customer data, it could be some finance data. But you're also going to care about things that none of those other audiences care about, like the monitoring of the performance of your platform, whether whether it's processing the volumes appropriately, is it scaling when you get more volumes through, you know, all those kinds of things, totally different set of data. And again, the way you manage that might be quite different. So I, I think, the, I guess the, the interesting observation, again, is... Um, you have all these different perspectives. Again, different industries will have different perspectives as well. The core, um, the core skill set and capabilities are the same because it's understanding your data. You know, it's definitions, it's quality, reference data, master data, blah blah blah, all those kinds of things, all the same. And in some cases, some of the data will cut across these different areas. But the approach that you take is different. And if you're going to try and do more than one at the same time, you've got to be really careful because it, it can become overly complex. So, so that's yeah, that's my thoughts on the kind of different perspectives. And hopefully mm -hmm. that's useful for people because a lot of people that I know in the kind of data management profession know one or two of those lenses. Um, but but actually having a view of multiple lenses can be really helpful because you, you, can, you can kind of understand where different people are coming from and you can kind of tell your approach based on yeah. that. I mean, everything that you said there, Paul, makes absolute sense. And I guess what, what I was thinking as you was talking was this is all very contextual, right? Yeah. Which, and we have the argument probably more openly, and it's probably more prevalent in the kind of world of data science, right? Where, you know, the amount of times I've asked the question of, you know, typically when we, for example, what we do as a day job, when we speak to um, potential candidates that are on the ground doing the do, building the models or the dashboards or the reports or whatever the case may be, their drivers have changed significantly over the last five years. And what they now start to look for often is, well, is my work valued? Is it being used? Is there any kind of feedback loop on that? Or am I in a position where the project lands on my desk, I do it, 
and then it goes sideways and then I never hear or, hear or see, see about this ever again, right? And I often ask the question, well, surely in that instance, context would be massively beneficial, right? And I think in most organizations, you've got these teams that are, you know, right, we need this report and they build that report based on their background experience perspective, the team that they sit in, right? And without that context, it's almost impossible to cater to those different perspectives, right? Because really the question they should probably be asking in those examples, well, who is it for? What's really important to them? What type of data do we need to make sure that they can see other than just, well, there's the data, figure it out for yourself, right? Because then this becomes very subjective, which is, you know, another big talking point, right? Around yeah. insight to action and all of that type of stuff, which is, yeah, makes makes perfect sense. I guess piecing this all together then to kind of come to value, which obviously I know is a, is a kind of hot topic of, of yours. How do these different perspectives kind of level up the value creation opportunities within those perspectives, if that makes sense. Yeah, so to me, there, there are two, there's almost two opposing ways in which understanding these perspectives help. Um, and I, I think your point around understanding the context is key. I mean, if I, you know, if, if you don't have the context, you've got to pick it up pretty quickly if you're going to be effective. I mean, it's because um, doing any of this stuff generically doesn't really work. It's just a, it doesn't. You can you can generate things that look nice, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, but in terms of the value of seeing these different perspectives, one is knowing when to only focus on the thing that you're trying to do and not try and fix other things. Because quite often, especially when it comes to enterprise scale data management, it, the problem can become so big that you just get stuck in analysis paralysis. You know, you don't get anywhere because you're so kind of overwhelmed by the scale of it. Whereas if you go, actually, we're trying to solve this problem with this data and you start kicking it off and delivering it, you can actually deliver an impact that people can see. And then you can expand the scope and move on to, to the next set of, um, uh, of data and so on. So there's, so there's one which is actually avoiding the multiple different perspectives. But then there's another which is knowing when to kill multiple birds with one stone. Usually that is when we talk about things like reference data. So reference data that cuts across the entire organization is, is where actually you get that right and you get people using it consistently as well. Everyone benefits. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a cross-organizational benefit. Which is why people often say hey, it's the most important data. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, truth to that. Um, but likewise, when, for example, if, if you are in, in a role where you have influence or um, oversight of multiple people working on these problems, and you can help with services that enable people to do their thing but contribute to something bigger. So this is where things like the, the kind of organization-wide metadata tools and things, if you set them up in the right way, and that's the key because you can set them up in the wrong way and it can make things worse, actually. But if you set them up in the right way, you can actually accelerate your efforts because you've got lots of people working on different but connected problems. You can start identifying the overlaps and things. Because then, then you've got the whole thing of, um, re reducing waste by reducing duplication. If you have visibility of it, you can say, well, oh, that's interesting. Those three teams are all working on the same thing separately. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you can get them working together, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking whilst you were you were saying that, right? Because uh, how many stories have we all heard around how many, you know, duplicated projects there are because 
you know, someone spun something up in their own team or silo or environment, and then you know it doesn't all sync together systematically, and then someone another team's got to do it, and it, you know, you, before you know, it, you've got ten ten of the same projects that have all been ran, and because you know the, the the infrastructure to connect them all just hasn't been there, which which makes sense, I guess. Holistically speaking, that makes absolute sense to me in terms of you know the different perspectives and and how they can create value and you know do you focus in on a specific or do you think enterprise wide how do you prioritize that i mean how like how do you get to the point where you go right we need to tell be able to tell the difference effectively right between what's needed at that point in time have you got any kind of examples of that or, or something like that it's yeah i mean i'm not sure there's a one size fits all approach to this and it's a bit of a kind of an experience-based thing, but I guess there's a couple of things I would say. In my experience, it, it is generally better to focus on delivering discrete value rather than trying to do too much. Um, I, I personally fall in the trap of trying to do things at too big a scale too quickly. And you can do it, but you need to be empowered and you need the team to be able to do the work. Because you know, if, if you if you don't have that, you end up um, spinning your wheels, generating lots of PowerPoint slides about how things work, but actually you're not really doing anything. Um, so generally speaking, especially if there's like a project that's spun up to do a particular thing, narrow the scope will be my advice actually. I'd say, you know, work out how you really deliver those outcomes and deliver the value. But when you're doing it, always have in mind how do you build out the foundational capability at the same time? Because then you're not just delivering this discrete thing and then you walk away and it's, you know, you've not you've not made it any strategic headway, but you have actually started building out those capabilities which can be built on. And and then you end up with a kind of it accelerates, you know, the more you that capability build, the faster you can build on it. Um, and then when you're doing the kind of that you just need to be in the right position to do the scale stuff. Um, and you need to have the right mandate. It means you really do need kind of exco level sponsorship. And it helps when you've got multiple regulations that are behind your back to kind of give, give you that impetus. Because um, one of the tricky things with real scale execution is quite often the business case is difficult to articulate because it's like an aggregated view of value. So you can't go, you know, we're going we're gonna to sort out this reference data and, and we can directly link it to X million pounds benefit. It's like, it'll probably multiple millions of pounds, but it's like, you know, a few thousand pounds here and a few thousand pounds here, because all, all these teams and all these systems across the organization are going to benefit from this if you do it properly. Which again is that's a skill in itself, just navigating that, keeping people on side when people start going, are we actually getting anywhere with this? And you know, all those kinds of things. It's it's a um it's a tricky thing to it's possible, but it's um it's quite a different kind of it's a different task to the I've got a data platform. I need to deliver some reports to these people. That's a really discreet thing. I mean, that's, and with that, focus on what the users need, make sure you deliver it to them. It's, yeah, it's, it's the pan organization stuff where those different perspectives and, and how they come together start to really matter. Yeah. So it seems like there, what you're saying is kind of, you know, trying to think about killing two birds with one stone, right? You know, narrow the focus so you can deliver that small incremental win, gain, small wins, you know, start getting the, business on the journey to see that there's value in this stuff but whilst also laying the foundations that this can be used by other parts of of the business um which makes absolute sense right and i think uh i've many people come on this podcast who you know have kind of said you know don't try and boil 
the ocean you know don't don't go too big you know there's no point in in kind of starting with a big transformational program that's going to take three years to complete and you know by the time you're halfway through everyone's bored and looking for something new to kind of invest in right so it's uh exactly. and this is and this is why the, the regulations make the difference because you know gdpr it's all encompassing you don't have any choice you've got to do it organization-wide because it's the law right so so it's it's those kind of things where you go, okay, well, we've got no choice. How do we do it in the smartest way? If you if you're not in that situation, don't try and do it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like it's because yeah, boiling the ocean is it um yeah, it's 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 a trap that um not just with data management, you know, we we see organizations fall into this time and time again, um running programs of that kind of scale. That is a real skill and it you, you need teams of people that know what they're doing mm-hmm. to make that work. Yeah. Um, I think it all com- also comes down to making sure that you're asking the right questions, right? I mean, how many mm-hmm. stories have we heard where, you know, an executive says, and can you get me a report for this? And people go away and get that report. And then it's like, oh, and also I needed this. And, oh, and, you know, and then that gets done. And then it's, oh, and what about this? And, you know, before you know it, you've kind of done 10 different reports. And it was like, well, if you just give, if you just told me what you needed at the start, but I guess that's on, us as an industry to find out that right because these people we're speaking to aren't necessarily data people and and don't know what it actually takes to get to that that point so yeah it's it's fascinating how do you ensure you make the right choice because i guess that's that's something right that people will be sitting here thinking well it's yeah it's great saying that but how do i know when to focus how do i know when to think bigger you know not every instance is going to be able to be you know deliver a small win but think about the benefit of the entire organization at the same time is there a you know if you've got any kind of general rule of thumb around this a really good question i'm not even sure i mean I, i've made this decision many times and i'm not quite <laughs> sure how i make it i think that probably the key thing would be um bringing together the right people who understand what the problem is and who can make decisions on the priority for the organization so it's Bringing the customers, the you know, be the internal customers into the conversation, um, especially if you're looking at doing something wider, you need to bring in the people who are impacted by those wider perspectives. So, you know, I do you need to bring in the, the chief information security officer, and do you need to bring in the head of operational resilience, and do you need to bring in this person, that person, and and have that join up discussion because again, if there's not appetite from those people, if you can't, if they're going to go, no, 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 I'm focused on my area. I'm going to do my own thing. You, you know, you don't, you might not want to invest in that yet. You might want to say, well, actually, what we're going to do is deliver something discreet, show it works, and then go with something that we can then build on. But sometimes you have those conversations, and we're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's let's bring it together. I guess that, and I'm making as you can tell, I, I didn't really have an answer for this, but I'm I'm kind of getting to one, which I think <laughs> is you can normally tell based on ultimately. Or the way in which you make anything like this happen at scale is through coordinating people, right? It's a big organizational thing. It's getting lots of people working together. And if if when you start engaging in it, you have a set of senior and empowered enough people who are really up for it, who are really engaged, you've got a good chance of making it work. If you hit a load of resistance, then either you need to make the decision, do I want to invest in the time and effort to change these people's minds or do I say actually I'm going to leave that broader problem for now execute something and then come back to the broader piece once you've actually shown some of the value um I think that's probably the key it's 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 all down to people at the end of the day 
Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that makes, uh, that makes absolute sense. And I guess obviously then that leads us probably quite nicely into the whole, the breaking down of silos, right. Which occur, which we've kind of touched upon, but, and, you know, you've talked about getting people together to collaborate, to work together and all of, all of that type of stuff, which, which makes perfect sense. What's, What's the role of technology then with all of this moving forward? You know, I guess when you're talking about the implications and of, of these different and alternative perspectives, um, and obviously the, the advancement in technology specifically around data management, data governance and things like that now, right? With all these new kind of fancy and, and sexy tools that are, that are coming out to, to kind of help with this stuff. What, what is the impact on these perspectives via the technologies that are now available? So I'm, I'm going to answer that question in two ways, actually. I'm going to start with the organisational one, and then I'll, I'll, then I'll touch on the technologies, I think. Because starting with that kind of silos bit, I think that there's something here around technology has, has got to be and always has to be a partner with the business. Right? So when, if technology is separate, doing their own thing, um, it's, it just tends not to work very well. Right? So, um, and I could... I could spend quite a lot of time just talking about what does that mean and, and this, that, and the other. That's always been the case. Um, I think that um, I think there's also it's not just technology; it's also the other kind of compliance functions and, and things all need to come together and, and do these things in a joined-up way. Um, how that works is very different in every organisation. So I've worked in organisations where the tech function is separate, but they work really well in partnership with the business. They have like a really good kind of service model. That's fine. As long as they are delivering great services to their internal customers, that's fine. I've also worked places where that's not the case, in which case you might want to actually bring them together. Um, so that's that's the kind of organisational piece. But then, of course, with all these new technologies coming along, Technologies themselves offer opportunities. I mean, I think that um, especially with some of the some of the um, kind of data cataloging tools, which automatically go out and and identify metadata and um, stitch it all together and can infer meaning and all these kinds of things. That's definitely it, you can't do that manually at scale without having like a hundred people running around. And again, I, I'm thinking of big organisations. For small organisations, again. What you do is different, um, but but when you've got a large organisation, multiple systems, multiple platforms, to keep everything up to, up to scratch, you've got to you've got to use a level of automation, and these new tools that are coming along um, provide that great opportunity. But you still need human beings. So even if even if a tool goes out, works out, well, I think that this metric here is this thing according to you know my machine learning model which has kind of worked out that that's what i think human beings think you still need someone to go in and go yeah that's right it is yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. because because it might be wrong um, and human beings get it wrong so you know a machine learning model is is um, is going to make mistakes as well so working out how that works and then and then you've got this whole thing around there's a lot of so if we take a metadata tool there's, there's work in that space, which there's kind of a blurred line between what IT and the business do. So IT obviously have all of the responsibility around just putting the tool in place, making sure it's running, keeping up, all those kinds of things. The business are obviously there to um, own the content. So you know, what, what is the business meaning of these things? There's something in the middle, which is around 
configuring the tool and making sure that the way in which the data is represented in the tool is fit for purpose of business, but also connects to IT and so on and so forth. That's where kind of data management teams tend to play. Um, but again, I've seen I've seen examples where IT tries to do too much or the business tries to do too much. And again, this, this is where there's no one answer, but the, I guess the, the one thing that's consistent is that these teams need to come together and collaborate. If, if people try and operate separately, like completely separately, it doesn't work. And the clarify when you have your kind of racy models where you say who's responsible and accountable and things, that's to help inform how people collaborate, not to create silos. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, as as long as as long as people come together and work collaboratively, you can make all, all of these things work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Um Conscious of time, Paul, and um, kind of want to jump into the final point because I know it's a kind of a, a big, uh, a big area that that you talked about and uh, in your book uh, as well. So, um, I guess you know we've had many conversations around this, but I know that you're a big believer in kind of you know jargon busting, I think, as you as you kind of calling it, and and creating a kind of common sense approach to to data management. Um, and I think that's that's really the the emphasis of of, of your book, right? Um, how does that play into these different and various perspectives? Um, and I guess how do you know how do companies go about simplifying these ideas for people in terms of those different perspectives? Because I think you know, holistically speaking, one of the reasons why a lot of this stuff doesn't fail is because you're right; it is a big, complex task that people are trying to solve, and they're probably trying to solve it too big, too too soon. Right. Um, and there's a whole host of different lingo and jargon. And, you know, I bang on about this all the time. But, you know, we're we're talking, we're using the same words in different organizations that mean different things and all of this type of stuff. I mean, it's a bit of a minefield. So I, I, give us your thoughts. So I think that the more perspectives there are, the harder it gets. <laughs> I'll have to scrap this podcast now. <laughs> great, great news, isn't it? And, you know, but, but with every new regulation that comes along, there are new terms that are introduced. Um, you know, different countries are bringing in their own privacy laws and they're bringing in slightly different terminology to mean, mean the same thing. And um, that, it, it just complicates things. I think that, um, I guess there's probably a couple of things. One would be when I talk to people who don't work in the data management space, I try not to talk about data at all if I can help with it, or, or for as long as possible. I want to talk to them about what they're doing. And sometimes they'll use the word data and, and, and they might use it in a very different way to the way that I think of and data. And that's fine. The important thing is to, to engage with them on what they're doing and what they're trying to do. And then you can link it in your own mind to what that means from a kind of industry standard perspective. Um, I do think that having some level of standardization about this terminology for us as data professionals would be really helpful. And I know there are various different um, models and maturity frameworks and things out there which, which provide some of that, but even some of those don't agree. Um, but, you know, jargon's really helpful for experts because it's like shorthand. You can have a much faster conversation and you each know what you mean and you get to an answer faster. But when you're engaging with a business, I would just not use any of it at all um, unless there's a really specific reason to. Like, if you don't use this terminology, then I don't know, other people. Yeah, so so within organizations, um, each organization has its own language anyway, doesn't it? You know, you go in there, they've got their own acronyms for their systems and their processes and their business units and whatever else. 
And you almost need to develop the language for the organization that is relevant to them, that everyone understands, everyone talks that language and, and so on. Um, but I, I think, yeah, uh, as you say, the, the book was about using everyday things that anyone would understand, like gardening or building a bridge or, you know, um, governing a country or going to hospital mm -hmm. and saying, well, actually, when you, when you think of it in those terms, a lot of what we're talking about is like total common sense. And you can't you can't manage your data if you don't know what it is and you don't know where it is, <laughs> right? Uh, just as you know, and so so if, if you can if you can just use normal language that anyone can understand, it just makes it easier for everyone. Mm. In my my view. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've had several. I mean, we had a specific podcast episode around the whole probably need for a kind of data taxonomy. Um, you know, someone kind of said they were having a conversation around data governance, and it was between like the CDO and the and the the chief privacy officer, and they were like, "No, no, no that's that's not data governance. This is data." And they're like, "No, that's not." You know, they're arguing, <laughs> which is yeah. which is hilarious, right? So, um, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Well, look, Paul, it's been a a hugely insightful conversation. Thank you very much for for joining us. I guess um, before we let you go, how can people kind of get hold of you if they want to kind of you know reach out about anything they've heard today? Maybe speak to you about your book. Maybe speak to you about how you can help them at, at Beringa. Yeah, sure. I mean, people are very welcome to either reach out on LinkedIn or um, you can contact me at paul.jones at beringa.com um, and I'd be really interested to hear from people. Well, Paul, you have a, a great weekend and thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how your, your, uh, your time goes with Beringa. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Bow 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 b